investors in China ETFs seem to be betting that the government is going to eventually open up because if you look at MCHI, the biggest China ETF in the U.S., it's trading at its highest level since September. Good morning and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, weekly roundup of our top stories and marketing analysis from the ETF perspective. My name is Daria Solovieva, I'm the Managing Editor of ETF.com, and I'm joined today by my fellow Managing Editor, Heather Bell. Hi, Daria. Good to be here. And Samit Roy, Senior ETF Analyst. How's it going? Hey, Daria. Hey, Heather. And let's jump into one of the biggest stories that we covered this week, China. We know that with lockdowns and severe zero-COVID policies leading to unprecedented protests in China and their impact on markets, we've seen a little bit of the signaling from China on softening their policies. So what do you make um, of the performance of China ETFs so far and why they've reacted the way they have? And what are you expecting to happen going forward? Yeah, Daria, it's interesting. And to really understand what's going on with the ETFs, I think we need a little bit of context, at least, because I did write on ETF.com this week how China ETFs are at a crossroad because the way they're going to perform going forward is really going to depend on how the government responds to everything that's going on in the country right now. Because we've seen these never-ending lockdowns over the past three years from a U.S. perspective, right? It was something that we can really relate to and something we didn't really want to replicate here. But the strategy was the strategy in China, and it was working in its aim in return for giving up freedoms and living under these really harsh COVID measures, China has more or less eliminated COVID and kept people from dying from the virus. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that trade-off isn't working anymore, right? Even with these harsh restrictions, we got data that showed COVID cases in China are at record highs. And it seems that the new COVID variants are just too transmissible. So even with these lockdowns and mass testing, it's just not stopping the spread. And, and so China now is facing essentially the worst of both worlds. You, you have these stringent policies and surging cases, and that in turn is causing the largest protests we've seen in that country in three decades. So what can they do? They can either double down on COVID zero uh, and put in place even harsher policies Uh, and hope that that brings cases back down, or they can just give up on zero COVID and join the rest of the world in living with the virus. Neither choice is really going to lead to a good outcome in the short term, but long-term opening up society is probably the only thing they can do because it just doesn't seem realistic to completely eliminate COVID based on what we're seeing in that country right now. It's just the virus is too transmissible. Now, the question is, is the Chinese government going to go down that route and open things up, or are they going to try to do the impossible and eliminate COVID once again? So the answer to that question is going to determine what happens with the Chinese economy and Chinese ETFs, because long term, the two paths couldn't be more different, right? If the government doesn't open up and they double down on zero COVID, then things can get really bad because we've already seen certain foreign companies slowly shifting their manufacturing away from China to other countries like India and Vietnam. That's what Apple has done. And then on the other hand, we know that if they do open up the economy, that is going to be bullish for the Chinese economy, right? GDP Mm -hmm. is going to re-accelerate. This year, it's expected to drop to 2.8% slowest pace in 50 years outside of 2020. But if they open up the economy, we can assume that 
that growth rate is going to accelerate. So these are two starkly different outcomes, and it depends on what the government is going to do. We really have no idea. But the investors in China ETFs seem to be betting that the government is going to eventually open up. Because if you look at MCHI, the mm-hmm. biggest China ETF in the U.S., it's trading at its highest level since September. It seems just based on the price action in this ETF that investors are hoping or betting that the Chinese government understands that zero COVID is unsustainable. So they're going to eventually do away with that policy, maybe not right away, but slowly. Yeah, it does seem that investors are optimistic with everything said. And the Chinese government has signaled this opening this week with the vice premier saying that there's a new stage and a new mission. And there, so there are these you know, sig- new signals of softening policy on COVID and investors seem to be uh, optimistic about these changes in terms of the reaction that we've seen. Crane Shares Chief Investment Officer Brendan Ahern told ETF.com this week that he's expecting China's economy to respond to these policy changes in a pretty strong way this week going into next year. Uh, but at the same time, as you mentioned, the 2.8% slowdown, that's dramatic compared to you know 8.1% last year. So are you seeing this uh, reaction kind of going into next year, what was likely to continue in terms of the investors' reaction to the news? And is that two changes enough to you know continue the slowdown um, and the overall economic impact? Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see because if we go back to the beginning of November, the Chinese government was trying to relax the zero COVID policies. They put out a 20-point framework talking about how the people didn't need to quarantine as long. So People took that as a signal to suggest that the Chinese government was ready to relax zero COVID. Then we got this surge and now, you know, there's chaos and things like that. But I do think, yes, they're going to slowly relax the policies. And that is bullish for these ETFs. But it doesn't mean it's it's an all clear sign, right? Because mm-hmm. zero COVID wasn't the only reason that China ETFs performed so poorly over the past year. We can't forget the tech crackdown that Xi Jinping has been enacting over the past one or two years. So even if zero COVID starts to go into the rear view mirror, which is a big if, we we have to think about the tech crackdown, uh, also the geopolitical risks uh, surrounding Taiwan. So there's a lot of other things we have to consider when, you know, investing in China ETFs. Fascinating that China is definitely going to continue to be a story to watch for us. Heather, in terms of the total ETF launches this year, you've been covering the space for a long time. And after a record year in 2021, it looks like a number of launches is slowing down. Um, What are your thoughts on what is drawing the slowdown and some of the considerations for the funds that going into next year? Basically, uh, we've had 395 funds launched year to date. And I think that's about 27 less than had launched by this time last year. So that was like 422 or something like that. I think what's causing the slowdown is the fact that we have so many ETFs already on the market. We crossed, I think, 3000 back in October. And that's a lot of ETFs and all the low hanging fruit has been taken. So you're really looking to find a different point of differentiation. A lot of the kind of like trends that we've seen or were that we were expecting to take off 
or maybe not a lot, but certain trends that we were expecting to really take off just haven't. Like the single stock ETFs, there's a handful of them out there, like I think maybe 16 or something like that. And I don't think they've gathered significant assets yet. Everyone was hyping them up and they haven't seen any sort of like explosive growth. There was a lot of space taken up in terms of registration and a lot of those funds haven't launched yet. So that could be a drag. But also we're in a very uncertain economic environment right now. And it costs money to put a fund into registration and then roll it out. I haven't been tracking registrations, but you know, launches are probably down because people not knowing what's going to happen next. I mean, we're hearing from some like, you know, respected economists that, yeah, everything's going to go over a cliff and the others saying, oh no, we're going to have a quick recovery. I think that makes people very, or makes issuers very uneasy about launching a fund into that environment where, you know, for new funds, it's so competitive. Is it going to be the kind of environment where they can, where these issuers can support a fund that maybe takes a different perspective? Maybe it'll take time for the public to warm up to it. I think that's a huge part of what's slowing things down. That makes sense. And in in terms of the PC price index data coming out on Thursday, Samit, we also had Fed Chairman um, Powell say that central bank would need substantially more evidence of inflation falling before stopping rate hikes. Is this enough evidence for, for Powell, do you think? Can the Fed still avoid a recession or is it too late? Yeah, I don't think it's enough evidence. The PCE data that we got on Thursday pretty much reaffirmed what we saw in the CPI data a few weeks ago. Inflation did slow from September to October. It wasn't a fluke. The core PCE deflator rose 5% year over year. So that's not new information, but it is good to get confirmation from all of these different inflation measures. And Powell, he did say some things that investors liked. He acknowledged that there have been some encouraging signs with regard to inflation, even if it's just a couple data points. And he did uh, confirm that the Fed is likely to slow down the pace of its rate hikes come December. Pretty much a lock for a 50 basis point hike in December, barring some major surprise in the CPI report, which comes out the day before the Fed decision. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that they're going to do 50, even if that CPI report is on the hot side. But if it's on the cool side, we get a very uh, low number on the CPI. That's when things get interesting, right? In that case, maybe the Fed does 50. And that's our last rate hike of the cycle. You never know, right? Two straight, uh, slow CPI reports could completely change the narrative. So it's going to be very exciting, the CPI report, and then the next day, the Fed rate decision. We'll see what happens. One of the interesting moves we've we've captured this week was the housing ETFs jump and the S&P case-shiller data that came out, which showed a decline of 0.8% month after a month in September, which was the third consecutive decline. And looking at the Spider Home, home Builders ETF, which is up 1.6% this week, and the iShares US Home Construction ETF, the ITB, is up. 0.86% this week. What are we making in terms of the housing uh, trends and the decline that we're seeing in the overall market compared to the ETF performance? Yeah. So like you said, we saw housing prices decline. And if you take those three months in combination, we've seen a little over 2% decline in U.S. housing prices over the past three months. That's the biggest decline 
since the financial crisis, believe it or not, even though it's just 2%. Also, like you mentioned, Daria, housing-related ETFs, they've been going up, and that's for a few reasons. One, the broader stock market has rallied something like 15% off its lows over the past several weeks. So that's naturally going to lift all boats, including housing ETFs. But secondly, specifically as it relates to these ETFs, interest rates have come down. So lower mortgage rates, currently I think they're around 6.7%, down from 7.4% uh, like a month ago, that's going to spur demand for housing on the margin. And if inflation continues to cool, those rates might keep going down and that's going to help the housing market. So that's one reason they've been rallying. And aside from rates, you have to look at you know kind of the bigger picture for housing market the multi-year trend underlying fundamentals for the housing market are still pretty strong right you have low housing inventories very very low historically speaking and on the demand side you have millennials entering their prime home buying years so the combination of those things are going to keep an underlying bid uh, in the housing market that doesn't mean that home prices are going to take off anytime soon but it means that demand is going to be there once homes are affordable again, whether it be because mortgage rates come down or prices come down or a combination of two. Eventually, once homes are affordable again, the demand is going to be there. Well, it, it seems that millennials have been entering their prime for some time now, but hopefully you're right um, in terms of the rally and how sustainable it can be. Heather, I wanted to talk to you about your story you've wrote, written about Chile and how Latin American ETFs have been the bright spot in global markets with Brazil and Colombia and Mexico also up here today. But Chile seems to stand out in particular with 18% jump so far this year. So what is driving their performance? I think it's the company called SQM, Sociedad Química y Minera de Chile. That stock is up, I think it's about 100%, and it's got a 23 3% weight almost in the iShares MSCI Chile ETF, ECH. So I think a lot of the performance is driven by that single stock. But in general, Chile is an economy that has a lot of commodity linked companies. So, you know, materials type stuff. It's also got a financials. Financials are the second largest. Utilities are the third largest sector. It's, it's basically... Got a lot to recommend it, but I think SQM is really the big driver for its performance. It's up like 18.5%. Um, yeah. And the broader iShares Latin America 40 ETF ILF is up about 12% year to date. Um, and that covers Brazil, Mexico, Chile, and Colombia. So Chile is really standing out. Now, if you look at the Freedom 100 Emerging Market ETF, FRDM, Chile represents about a quarter of that fund's index. Um, and that was created by Perth Toll, who is the CEO and founder of Life and Liberty Indexes. And she her index is basically weighted by freedom under the premise that countries that provide guaranteed freedoms with regard to personal life and economics, that those countries are more resilient. Uh, their markets will grow more sustainably. They'll bounce back more quickly from downturns. And Chile is really... Uh, kind of giving a little truth to that thesis, FRDM. Sounds like a poster child for her fund. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
it's it's a really interesting story to watch um just what's going on with chile and also with latin america in general absolutely you can find these and other stories on etf.com and we'll see you again next week have a great weekend